It's now clear that the adoption of AI will continue to increase, with nearly every industry working to rapidly incorporate it into their systems and applications to provide greater value to their users. Business analytics is a key domain that promises to be radically reshaped by AI. Alembic is an AI platform that integrates web data, product conversion metrics, and social media to guide business decision-making. John Adams is the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Alembic, and he joins the podcast to talk about data and engineering at the company. This episode is hosted by Lee Acheson. Lee Acheson is a software architect, author, and thought leader on cloud computing and application modernization. His best-selling book, Architecting for Scale, is an essential resource for technical teams looking to maintain high availability and manage risk in their cloud environments. Lee is the host of his podcast, Modern Digital Business, produced for people looking to build and grow their digital business. Listen at mdb.fm. Follow Lee at softwarearchitectureinsights.com and see all his content at leeatchison.com. John, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, Lee. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, first of all, is is that the right title for you, Chief Innovation yeah, Officer? You. That's 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 correct. So, tell me the story behind that. All behind the title. Yeah. Um, it was. It's interesting to me. Uh, you know, I've I've held a lot of a lot of positions in my over the course of my career, and uh, uh, Tomas and I were trying to figure out like where I would fit in. You know, and it was interesting because as a technical co-founder, like I, you know, I was the person who wrote the first line of source code and. And I, I started building the site from nothing. And, um, you know, when we had brought Lloyd on, uh, Lloyd uh, Taylor, who is our COO and, uh, and CTO now, um, it was sort of trying to understand, like, where, where my skills would fit in. Because I'm, I have always been more of an of a engineer, an individual contributor. And, you know, I definitely have been a director of departments. I've, you know, I've had teams of people. But I have to have my fingers sort of in the, you know, in the system. I want to be building things. And, I, and that's, that's how I keep track of where the technology is and where it's going. So um, interestingly enough, we had seen this article, uh, I believe it was on Forbes, about what the CINO title was. And we looked at that and, and Tomas and I are going, that's, that's you. That's exactly you. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's, run, let's run with that. I, I, I like that. And maybe, uh, maybe if I'm, uh, you know, CINO as opposed to CTO, I won't have to deal with the customers as much. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, I love our customers, but, uh, but you know, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm an engineer's engineer. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, yeah, I, even the most technical CTOs, I think get caught up in the, you know, there's so much non-technical stuff you have to do and it's just so right, hard right. to make it work, but something like this lets you do the technical you like to do. That's great. That's right. So, Alembic uses AI essentially to, it, it, and let me let me know if this is not an accurate description. But you That's use okay. AI to to correlate and report on marketing data. Not um, you don't generate marketing content. You don't create write tweets from or write articles using AI. Those sorts of things. But you you uh, report on marketing data. Is, is that a valid assumption? It's, valid it statement? is. It is. But there's 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 a few different places where where we incorporate AI into the into the platform and. It's interesting because I think there's a, there's a thin line in um, you know sort of in the in the world right now where artificial intelligence is 
very, um, shall we say, it, it's, it's being used to define a very wide uh, series of solutions. And we would have said expert systems or we would have said statistics or, you know, pred predictive analytics. But there is a time and a place for AI and we use it in a number of different ways. You know, one way is, you know, looking at where data is going and trying to predict what's going to happen in a time series. And, you know, prior to that, people would have used like um, you know, linear regression or other math, uh, standard math formulas to do that. But you can incorporate uh, AI uh, systems to say, okay, I have this idea of where things are going, but I know from previous data it's going to go that way. So the algorithm says, okay, we're going in this direction. So um, one is one usage is for predicting the future. The other usage is for uh, looking at images and being able to say, okay, what's in the image? You know, what keywords are in here? So if I look at an image, you know, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, you know, we, there's a uh, TensorFlow, there's a whole bunch of different systems for identifying what's in an image and then correlating that back to marketing data. So an example would be like, you posted an image that had a dog in it and that image got these many uh, impressions. And we know that over the course of everything you've done, the images with dogs perform better than the images with, I don't know, cats. So that level of, of analysis into the image and then being able to correlate it back to social media data is, is huge for marketers because I think frequently they don't know what works and they don't know what doesn't. And I think that's uh, one of the questions that Alembic tries to answer. So one of the things you do is you take, you know, the marketing information that is sent out and you, you categorize it and then figure out which things perform well and which categories, et cetera. So. That's, that's correct. So the, you know, from sort of an engineering standpoint, you know, you come into us, you, you can set up Alembic in under 10 minutes, right? Because you, you connect your accounts to us, the accounts, uh, you know, we use OAuth and other standard protocols to link your accounts across a multitude of social media uh, and um, um, advertising platforms and analytics platforms like Adobe Analytics, Google Analytics 4, um, you know, LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, all, all the usual ones. And what we do is we, we ingest all your data and then we analyze, we analyze every post you've ever made, every, every connection that anyone's ever done with your account. Um, and then we take all those metrics, you know, and we're talking, we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of metrics per day. Um, and we then apply algorithms to identify what's, what's happening. And it's a combination of AI statistics, um, you know, uh, category algorithms and uh, natural language processing. And all of this is used to, to give the marketer a picture of where they are. I think one of the most important. No, I was going to say, uh, so if you look at a typical sales pipeline, is this mostly the front end marketing um, uh, piece or, or, or can it apply anywhere during the pipeline process? Right. So, so, so just to be clear, you know, I'm, I'm a data, I'm a data person, right? I'm not a, I'm not, not a marketing person, but Tomas, Tomas is an amazing marketing person. And, you know, as, as my, my co-founder, he, you know, he used to work for WP engine. He's got a long history of, of being a CMO. And there are a number of questions that kind of come up for, for marketers. Right. And I think that especially in the sales cycle, you know, the, one of the hardest problems is attribution. You don't know where the sale came from. You don't know what worked or when. And, uh, and another issue is content, right? So, and yes, on the front ends, like you don't know what content is actually performing. And, you know, one of the, the rules, and you may know this from doing podcasts and other types of social media advertising is they say, keep posting, keep posting, keep posting, right? And... But what do you post? Well, what do you post, right? One, what do you post? Two, you know, a lot of people don't realize that long tail content actually drives advertising, 
It drives companies. It drives sales. People assume that only the newest, greatest content is bringing people in. And when we go back and we analyze, and we have an entire screen in our application that tells people, you know, here's the here's your long tail content, and here's how it performed. And did you know that you know this post from like three years ago is actually driving a lot of traffic to your site? Um, and it's interesting. To, you know, recently there's an article. I think it was like an article on, on CNET, right? And they said CNET was deleting old posts because they thought it was it was impacting their SEO and impacting traffic to their site. And I guarantee you that's not the case. I think they have bad data. Impacting, but impacting the wrong direction. They were the wrong direction. It's probably <laughs> yeah. negative when they removed it. Yeah, they were deleting posts. So who knows? Well, I, I I did not hear about that. And that that's yeah, it's a big fan of long tail content. I have a lot of long tail content that I produce. It's uh, I find that critical to keep going. Right. But how would you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I know in my business, you know, so content creation is um, a big part of what I do. But I have no information about, um, you know, which leads come from which pieces of content and how all that works. And, you know, I tried to use UTM codes, but that's all real simplistic stuff and it doesn't really yeah. give you. And it's about to go away, too. That's another another really impactful thing that's, that's occurring, right? So um, Apple has already announced in Safari, right, that they're going to block all UTM codes, you know. Uh, Chrome obviously is not going to do that, but Safari will, and that's going to impact every iOS device. And it's the the era of, you know, so here's here's another aspect of kind of my career, right? Um, I spent a long time working in privacy and security. I was a founding member of Twitter's security team, um, you know, and um, this era of sort of surveillance capitalism is coming to an end. You know, tracking the user is going to be more and more difficult. And I think one of the things that we offer with Alembic is a way to analyze the impact of your company without directly surveilling a user and, you know, and having this massive privacy issue. And it's only getting harder with the, 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 you know, sort of, they call it the death of cookies, right? So there's the cookies are going away, UTM codes are going away, marketers need somewhere to go that gives them an accurate representation of what's occurring. And anything we can do to sort of foster privacy and still allow marketers to do their job, I think is fantastic. And I think Alembic makes that happen, yeah. yeah. One of the things AI allows you to do is you, you can analyze the backend data and make assumptions and correlations about who's doing what, and rather than tracking the actual workflow of an individual person and seeing what's doing what. So is, is it fair to say that you can track, you know, if you've got a sudden up, uptick in customer signups, that you can pr track what types of things have occurred recently? Yes. Okay. Can you go into an example? Of yeah. That? So give me an example. So for example, let's say, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, let's say you made a tweet. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're called now. I guess Elon thinks they're called X's or something. But so you make a post on some social media website. Let's just be generic. And that social media site is connected to Alembic. And the user, um, you start to see an increase in views from a multitude of users. So people are in, now engaging with that content, right? And then simultaneously, uh, you see an uptick uh, on portions of the Google Analytics pipeline. So Google Analytics has goals and it has events and you can track, um, you know, most people have like a sales funnel. So here's when they hit the first page, here's when they put something in their cart, here's when they, you know, there's an event for every step of that sales funnel. And we can actually see a correlation between like 
here's the number of impressions that occurred on, let's say, YouTube. And here's the number of impressions that occurred when you advertise that post on Twitter. And then following that chain, we now see an uptick in, uh, you know, in the number of goal completions on a particular phase of the Google Analytics uh, pipeline. And that's an overview that's not commonly available. Like you don't get to see that on Google Analytics. You can't really instrument the other, the other sites. You can only instrument sites that you have direct control over. And, you know, in the case of Twitter, you may use a link shortener or you may have a post on Facebook, but you can't really correlate that back to Google Analytics. So being able to, to see that entire pipeline and correlate those spikes together. So we, we, we call this, um, we call, I think the internal name, we call it ECD. So it's, 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 event, it's an, an event correlation detector. So we see multi, a multitude of events across different services. We can use internal algorithms and AI to detect that spike and then correlate the spikes across all the services together and then give you, a, give you basically a heat map that says, look, on this day something happened. Why? And you click on it and we show you every event that happened on that day. Um, and an interesting aspect of our work is that when you go to competitors, like if you look at Salesforce, Hootsuite, anyone who's currently pulling social media data, there's something that we do that they don't, which is we have a system called time series reconstruction. If you go today and you ask Facebook what happened, like let's say you made a post on Monday and Tuesday afternoon you got 100 views and you know Wednesday you got another 100 views and by the time you get to Friday it's been 500 views, Hootsuite will report that you got 500 views on Monday because the only data they have access to is the post ID, the date of posting, and the lifetime value, the, the lifetime number of impressions. So we reconstruct that timeline and this is how we're able to do these detections and spikes because we can say, well, we know the delta from Monday to Tuesday was 100 and Tuesday to Wednesday was, let's say, 300. Oh, that looks like a spike. That's above the, that's above the normal. So you poll regularly to get that data and then re use it to reconstruct. Yeah, regular polls and, and then cross, cross calculations and then, and then using AI on top of that. So it's a very okay. interesting dynamic, you know. And I think it sort of starts to solve the attribution problem of, like, where did your sales come from? Right, right. But that... That's a, a direct attribution. I mean, you've, you see a spike on this day in this type of social media or this type of activity or whatever, your know, cats and pictures or whatever. Right, right, right. And then generate, generates a sales. But what about, you know, a lot of businesses have a rather long process of engagement before a customer becomes a customer or a customer actually like signs up to get a newsletter or signs up to get a, and so what's, what, you know, they, they might read five pieces of content before they get to that, they get to that. Point. Well, we've got a few different ways of tracking that, right? One is we have a Salesforce integration that's in, that's mostly done right now. It's, it's, we're, we're working on that for, for our customers so we can track areas of this, like the Salesforce pipeline. If you're an enterprise com, uh, customer and you're working down different portions of that, you know, of that uh, sort of sales funnel, we can track there. We also offer a, um, a fairly comprehensive link shortener so you could actually apply, you know, links along the path, you know, like, so we can track links and then we can feed that into the correlation engine with everything else. Without requiring um, specific user information that's going away. Yeah, that's correct. So, so yeah, so we can, we can, we can basically, we, we like to work in the aggregate, you know, we don't, we don't want to collect data individually um, because, you know, obviously we want to be, we want to be a privacy preserving marketing solution, which is kind of an oxymoron, but it's absolutely possible. So you, you gather lots of data from lots of different, um, 
uh, sources and correlated. So social media is one of those sources. I'm assuming traditional news sources, you know, information about. We actually integrate um, with a number of news APIs and also uh, broadcast podcast APIs. So we have we have partnerships with companies that track um, and provide transcripts uh, for that area. So one one kind of wonderful feature about uh, about Alembic among among many is this ability to kind of track mentions. So we can actually look for spikes in the in the news media and in podcasts. So if we start to see like a particular phrase or a product name, and this is a lot of kind of AI correlation, you know, mention extraction, NLP work. So we say, oh, you know, you're looking for this particular mention of, I don't know, like some sports team. Or, yeah, yeah, some sports yeah. team and, and some show. Oh, look, okay, there was a, there was a you, you were being, your technology was being talked about on these six podcasts. And then it was mentioned on the news here. And we know how many impressions they were because we have Nielsen data and we have other data. So we can look at that and now kind of synthesize this whole picture of where things are going. So you, you take a, not only social media, traditional news sources, industry blogs, and, 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 and you're able to apply AI on the content as well in order to know what's in That's there. Right. You mentioned the cats, but you can look for mentions, et cetera. We're still, still working on refining that work, but it's, um, it's, it's very interesting. I think, I think one, one thing is, um, is that where we stand right now sort of in the AI market is there are a lot of good solutions out there that do things. And some of it looks like, it looks like a like chat GPT to me always looks like a fancy parlor trick because it's got, you know, predictive and it's, it's predicting words, right. Based on, based on strengths and random numbers and previous training. But at the same time, it takes so much compute power to process one, you know, one article, one right. <laughs> that it makes it really hard to use that technology right now on a regular basis. So, you know, like the large language models are great and they look, they do very wonderful things, but I think at the same time, we're not really there yet as far as speed, um, especially if you've got someone that's, you know, posting millions of articles and there might be, you know, something like a NVIDIA or like a search for the word Linux, you know, it's, you're going to hit, you're going to get tens of thousands of articles to process. So in some of those cases, like going back to, you know, traditional computer science and, and NLP uh, algorithms is sometimes more effective than trying to apply, you know, the new shiny to all the problems. Um, so there's a, as, as, as an engineer and as, as like, as if you're a technologist, you need to really kind of peel back the layers, right? And you need to understand where can I apply these AI technologies in a way that makes sense? And where is the traditional approach still significantly, you know, more uh, performance and better for your company? And this is going to be a hard, hard thing for people to understand with this sort of hype cycle we're in currently with AI. So once this hype cycle ends or goes on the other side of the hype cycle where do you think the reality of of the technology is really going to be and where do you think the focus is going to be well um you know i i always go back there's a, a wonderful book um I, I might script the title here but there was an economist her name was carlotta perez and she had a book i think it was called venture capital and technological revolutions and it's an absolutely amazing book but she was the one that sort of talked about the the, the curve, okay, so where like, you know, new technology adoption, the trough of disillusionment when people sort of forget about things and get past the, the hype and then the, you know, wide acceptance of the technology, right? And we're seeing this now, right? We're seeing this now where there's a bit of disillusionment with AI. There's, there's a kind of a, uh, 
what's the word? Like people are sort of coming against it, right? They're saying, oh, you know, driverless cars are dangerous and, and AI is, is dangerous. Yeah, all these things, all these things are true about all job. Let's yeah, all these things are true about all technologies, right? All technologies have a bad side and a good side. And I believe that this will this will mellow out. I think it'll 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 reach a, a uh, you know a steady state. Um, and the things that I'm most excited about from an optimistic perspective are, you know, like I look at assistive technologies, right? I look at I look at translation. I look at image identification. You know, being able to tell someone what's in something if you're you're blind and you can't see. Uh, you know, looking at um, like GitHub Copilot is a fine example, but there's a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of controversy around that about assistive coding. You know, that's that's huge. Uh, augmented reality with assistance is is probably something that's going to really pick up. And it's already getting there. Like if Apple does what I think they're going to do with the glasses, it's going to be pretty serious. Um, where I where, you know, and then the scary part, right? The scary part is, you know, we could go into Skynet and a Terminator world and we're all doomed. Um, you know, <laughs> so that's like, you know, Boston Dynamics putting chat GPT into Big Dog. Oh, OK. Now it's now it's going to happen. But I, I don't think, you know, I think with all technologies, there's always fear and there's always something new that's going to happen. And honestly, the one lesson I learned very hard at, at Twitter was second order effects. So you design something, you think it's going to have a certain purpose, or you think you're making things better. And in some cases, you make things worse. And obviously, like, you know, look at Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. I mean, that was a terrible use of that technology, you know, that impacted democracy and, and hurt, hurt things. And that was an application of both statistics and AI, but with a very upsetting direction. So we have to, we have to be concerned about, about where these things are going. But I don't think we should be, you know, completely dismissive and and not explore what technology has given us. That, that's a that's a great way to think about it. I've, I I've have a similar view on, on how all this is going to work out. I think the people who are, you know, the the uh, yeah, I've got a, a friend who's a screenwriter and oh, yeah. uh, and she's you know, she's obviously out on strike right now. And it's like and she's constantly worried about the effect of AI in taking over her job and you know, taking over the screenwriting job. And I, and I, I keep wanting to say, you know, you should be excited about the possibilities of what AI can do to help you write better screen, you know, do better screenwriting versus it taking over your job. Your job's going to change. Your job's definitely going to change, but it's not going to go away. The only constant is change. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting to mention that because as someone who, you know, in my, in my off time, I write music and I look at, you know, I, I love working in video and things like that. And I, I, I've had people ask me, you know, what do you think? What do you think about all this AI stuff? And these, these are people that are, they're, they're artists. They're not, you know, they're not technologists for the most part and, or, or they're musicians. And like, this is terrible. It's, it's going to ruin everything. And it's sort of like, you know, um, I think about sampling. So when people could first sample audio and incorporate that into other forms of art, they said, this will ruin everything. People will just sample things. And I said, no, well, you're actually making a new, are you making a new art form? You have a new tool, right? And you have a tool you didn't have before. And perhaps like this will happen with AI. But at the same time, we have to be very aware of where these, where the AIs are trained and what does this mean in the face of things like licensing, copyright, and patent? Absolutely. Right? And a comment that I comment that I actually made this last night. I was like, actually, you know, I'm sitting in a bar talking to a friend about this, and they made a mention about, well, you know, it was trained on everything, 
So isn't it just, isn't it just plagiarism? Isn't it just stealing from other programmers? And I said, well, how did you learn? You know, where did you get your sorting and searching algorithms from? How did you learn to do those things? Oh, when I went to school, I read a book. I said, right. So you remembered that vaguely and then you wrote a new version of it. Oh yeah, that's what I did, but it was original work. And I said, well, no, actually it wasn't. I said, you know, you know, you know, Don, Don, Don Knuth. Uh, there's you only know, so he, many ways to sort. Yeah, he wrote so many ways to sort. And he wrote, yeah, there's only so many ways to sort. He wrote, you know, he wrote sorting and searching algorithms. And he wrote a wonderful, you know, the art of computer programming, massive tome that was the Bible for the computer industry. And he did that back in the 60s. So the thing is, is like, okay, so now you're dealing with something that can remember all of the lessons it's ever been taught. Maybe not in a, maybe not in a great way, but certainly better than you can. So who's in the right? And this is an ethical uh, dilemma that we're going to have a long time sorting out. Yeah, I think AI ethics is definitely a career choice that's going to be uh, around for a long time to come. Yeah, exactly. So, so what's next for Alumbic? You know, I understand what you're doing now, but what, what's the next steps? Well, I always look at, you know, I look at, the, I look at where we are today, and we have written a, a really wonderful piece of software. And it is, you know, as with all companies, right, you know, you, you never want to get married to the software. And, and what I mean by that is, I think at Twitter, I think we rewrote it three times. You know, like, like once in Ruby, once in Scala, once, you know, once in, in other languages, Go and Erlang and all, all, all kinds of things. But the idea is, is that as the company evolves, you know, every decision you make, you're making thousands of decisions to make the startup go. And they are in a way, they're, they're kind of a hedge, right? They're like, I, I'll, get, I'll get this working for this amount of time and then I'll, I'll go clean it up and make it better. And I think that what we've done is built a really great, a really great system. And internally, like we want to make that the best it can be. We want to make it scale. We want to make it work for anything. We want to have correlations across as many services as possible. And we want to accelerate the, you know, the ability for engineering and sales to add more, add more connectors, add more, add more sources. So you always, um, you know, you obviously always try to improve the software. Um, but the, the idea is, is can you get it to a point where the most basic user can get what they need out of the system and then the, the most advanced user can really build a, you know, build on a platform that works for them. So, you know, not trying to make any forward looking statements, but it's, you know, the thing that I look at is, can we make this a universal platform for all the data that marketers need? And can we create a community around it that people can, can really build and grow in? And I think that's, that's where I'd like to see things going, you know. So new and more data sources, more advanced AI, more advanced analytics. New, more data sources, you know, obviously things, you know, advanced analytics, being able to offer some of the tools that we're using internally, externally. I think that that's, that's a huge thing because, you know, we do use a lot of this, a lot of these, a lot of this tooling to create results for people, but it would be wonderful if people could ask for what they want and get it back without us having to code. So that would be, that'd be great. Makes sense. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, my guest today has been John Adams, who's the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Alembec, an AI marketing, reporting, and analytics company. John, thank you so much for being my guest on Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lee. It's a pleasure. <laughs>